0: You know, throughout my life, most of prayer has been difficult. Most of my life in prayer has been hard. Even my early memories of prayer were, were difficult. I, I I've grew up in the Catholic school system, and the Catholic church was my first place I really understood who God was. And even then, prayer was really hard. I can remember being in fourth grade and having homework to memorize the Lord's Prayer And I just remember, if this is prayer, this is really hard. (laughs) I had to memorize that. I had to memorize creeds. I had to memorize other prayers in the Catholic Church. And I I just remember it being difficult. I remember having to say, okay, if I've got to memorize this prayer this way and act a certain way uh, that's different, that's using words that I would not you know, use, like thou or something like that. It was going to be really, really hard. That was as a fourth grader, right? I I can remember being in high school, and when I started to become uh, a member in the Christian church and sort of leave Catholicism, my youth pastor taught me to pray differently, and he would just tell me, hey, just pray in the morning. Pray what's on your heart, And that was really hard too. Like you'd think that would be easier, but it was actually in some ways harder because then I didn't know what to say. And then my mind would wander, right? And then I'd fall asleep. He'd say, pray in the morning, pray at night. I'm like, those are the two times I'm tired. (laughs) These are the two times I'm supposed to pray are the times where I want to fall asleep, right? Right. It was very difficult. you find your mind just wandering and all this. Prayer was difficult. And then, and then you know, you might think, well, okay, now, you know, Chris, you're a pastor, and so your prayer life must just be supernatural and dynamic, you know? And it's not. Spoiler alert. It's It's a lot of times really hard. It's a lot of times very difficult. And I'm sure many of you in this room who have ever even tried to pray a little bit have understood this deep truth we have to start with today, which is this. Prayer is hard work. And I want to land that statement onto us as a congregation to tell you this, prayer is hard work, and that's okay. But we have to acknowledge the difficulty of prayer. We have to acknowledge, though, that though it is difficult does not mean that it's not good. Because don't most things in your life that are good require hard work? Parenting, for some of you. Studying going to work and having a job and making money, right? Cleaning a house. To make a house good, you must put forth effort. Most good things require work. Friendships, your greatest friendships, your marriages. Most good things require hard work. Prayer is no exception. And so I want to start with this to just help us understand where we need to go today. Is that Prayer is hard work, and if you're praying right now, or if you're in, a, a, um, in faith in any way and, and joining the Christian movement, you're joining Jesus, you're following Jesus, and you're running into roadblocks with prayer, I want to say, welcome to the 2,000-year-old club. Welcome to the more than 2,000-year-old club. If you go back to the people of Israel, prayer and speaking with God and partnering with Him is hard work. Last week, we talked about how there is an, a powerful partnership between us and God. And in the powerful partnership, we have to recognize it's not something that's easy all the time. It's not something that we just push a button or just exchange information and then God is at our behest to do whatever we want to do, or he's there to do whatever we want him to do. Prayer is difficult. It requires dogged commitment. And so how do we commit to prayer in the long haul? Because we're wrapping up this series cooperation and I want to push us as a church. I want this sermon to be kind of a last push into the rest of this year because we're going to be obviously talking about prayer from time to time, but I want us as a church to be pushed towards the long haul of prayer, to be dedicated to a long life of prayer. It's difficult, but it's good. It's hard, but it is worth it. No better story for us than Luke chapter 18. If you've got a Bible, let's head there right now. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1, Jesus tells this great little parable. A parable is a short story that has deeper meaning hidden within it. And Jesus often told stories to communicate things that he could not communicate through trite Kind of philosophical phrases. Uh, most of the truth Jesus was trying to teach us was deep. It was rich, and it had to be hidden in parables. And one of these parables lands with us in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. If you've got a Bible, head there with me. It'll be on the screen if you don't. Listen to this. And he, Jesus, he told them a parable, there's that word, to the effect that they ought always to pray And not lose heart. Okay, hold on to that. That's incredibly important. He already told us why he's telling the parable. Okay, so that's like Reader 101, clue in. He's telling us so that we wouldn't lose heart in prayer. Two, he said, here's the the parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that same city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, this is an unjust judge to some extent, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Jesus, now this is Jesus' commentary on the parable. This is what he says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, his chosen, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man, when he, Jesus himself, returns and comes, will he find faith on earth? Let that question hang over you. Will he find faith on earth? Will, when Jesus returns, will he find the kind of faith that is needed and that is talked about in Luke 18? How do we commit to prayer over the long haul? How do we commit in persistence to prayer? I want to give us three thoughts for this morning. Three thoughts. The first is this, very simply but very powerfully, Jesus promotes persistence in prayer. Jesus promotes persistence in prayer. That was that first line I I, I read to you, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, where he says he's telling this parable that they might pray and not lose heart. And then at the end, it says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on earth? In other words, this story is bookended with a recognition that prayer will require a kind of persistence. To not lose heart, the Hebrew understanding of heart was not emotion. This is very important. It wasn't to that the people would pray and not lose the feeling of prayer. That's not what's talking about here. The Hebrew understanding of heart is the will. And so this is that you would pray and not lose the will to pray. Not that you would pray and lose the feeling to pray. you'll always lose the feeling to pray. Let me just throw that right out there. You will always lose the feeling to pray. If you don't, come talk to me. I teach me, disciple me.) Um, you will always lose the feeling to pray. Jesus is teaching you how not to lose the will to pray, which is something different. We're going to unpack this. But look at what the, um, the rest of the testimony of Scripture speaks to this, right? You've got Psalm 88, verse 1. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation. This is the psalmist, a songwriter, a poet, so he's very moody. Um, but, oh, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Yeah, day and night, I'm continually coming to you, O God. Romans 12, 12, this is Paul talking to the church in Rome. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be constant. Be consistent. Be always praying. Famous verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. This is Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. To sit in the will of God is to be consistently and constantly praying. Here's something really important. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is not saying something once to God. Prayer is not saying something one time to God. That is starting to pray. Prayer it involves a kind of long term vision. Prayer involves a kind of scope that is consistent. It requires a kind of dogged resiliency a resiliency. That's another word I would use for prayer, a a, a kind that pushes through difficult times, that pushes through when things don't feel like they're going your way. We have a weird theology in in American life. I've heard it a little bit to my friends outside of America, but it really is an American phrase. It's this. Have you heard it? Um, Well, God might have closed that door. You heard this? Like, man, God closes doors, he opens doors, and oftentimes when we pray about one thing one time and we don't get the reply that we want, we say, God, closed the door. It's kind of how it works, okay? (laughs) It's a little interesting theology, right? Now, I would posit, as we look at this parable, not to take it too literally, but is the door open or closed on the widow? Right now, it's closed. She's knocking on it. Okay, but once she continually knocks on the door and continually comes to the door, the door does open, she's granted justice. But the door is closed that she's knocking on. And so it's very important for us to recognize in our theology of prayer that sometimes God closes a door not so that you would walk away from it, but that you would kick it down. <laughs> I love Bob Goff and his really brilliant book, Love Does. He says, I think sometimes God gives us uh, closed doors so that we can learn to kick them down. We have lost in America a kind of strength in prayer. We've lost in this country of of Christian, kind of this Christianity that has been posited on top of this country, which is very consumeristic, which is very uh, self-focused and individualized. We've lost the biblical resilience of knocking of continually showing up and saying, God, give me justice. God, grant for me what you need, what I need. Man, this kind of almost unashamed presumptuousness that comes with the life of prayer that I see throughout all of scripture that I struggle to inhabit with my own life. But man, perhaps God has closed doors not so that you could walk away from them, but that you can knock them down so you can keep coming. Man, I, I, I think about this, this one time... Um, I was—I I thought about all these examples, and um, I, I have, like, multiple, and I was praying about which ones I should share. Of when God closed the door, uh, just recently, though, really less than a year ago, or maybe a little over a year ago, I was working in the inner city, and we were in, in a ministry that owned several buildings, and... In one of the buildings we owned, there was a, there was a lease, um, a leaseholder, who was, who was holding a lease for a hotel, basically. So there are all these individual rooms uh, with bathrooms, and it was kind of a nice little spot. And we were doing ministry in the Tenderloin District, and we were inviting uh, young people to intern with us. A huge part of my job was to bring young people to intern with us, live with us full time, and do ministry in the inner city. And we saw that hotel as our program was going, and we were like, that would be a great place to house interns. The problem is we had inherited this lease when we bought this one building that was a 25 or a 30 year lease which is pretty common in cities. They sign these ridiculous long-term leases that are insane and we had inherited one and there's 25 years left on a 30 year lease. So Uh, If you know anything, not to bore you with real estate too much, but if you know anything about this, what we would have to do is basically buy the lease out. And if we did the math on like the rent of what their uh, their payments of monthly payments, we were going to have to buy this place out for 18 to 20 million dollars, depending on what you ask, okay? Now, we're an inner city ministry. Do we have 20 million dollars sitting around? Closed door. (laughs) Well, the door's closed. Uh, 20 million dollars. We can't fundraise 20 million dollars, but we thought we could fundraise 800,000. Just quick math, that's about (laughs) one-twentieth. So uh, we started to pray. And we went to the manager, and we said, Hi, um, so I know it's going to be 20 mil. How's 800 thou? (laughs) He was like, Are you kidding me? (laughs) We were like, Okay. Okay okay. (laughs) So we left. um, And I remember leaving that meeting going, close door, close door. And my pastor, one of my co-pastors I was working with, he said, "Um, we have to pray. I was like, "Uh, of course, I thought that too. Uh, You know, I was like moving on to the next thing. (laughs) Very white guy thing to do, like next thing, let's do this. Um, He was just like, no, bro, let's chill, let's pray. So we start praying. And then um, he's like, comes to me later, he's like, we have to commit to pray as a as a church for this hotel thing. It's like, okay. So we had Wednesday night prayer. So we had Sunday church and we would always do Wednesday night prayer, five to six, to 30, something like that. Just pray, just pray, just pray. So we committed to praying for that property. And we committed, asking God, we believe you would have this property for us. We, we, we believe that this would be a place where ministry could happen. So we pray, we pray, we pray. We go, we meet with the guy, we say, how's it going? 800,000, how's that looking? He's like, still looking terrible. Um, so now I'm like, two closed doors, you know? I'm like, these are two closed doors. Don't, can you get a hint here? You know, this is not what God wants for us. And man, the dogged resiliency of some of the people I was working with, they, it wasn't anything I was doing. I was kind of following along. They just wanted to continue to commit to prayer. And after three more weeks of praying consistently, we get a phone call from the manager. And he says, I just want to get out of managing this hotel. I've been realizing it's ruining my life. It's hurting my family. I'll take 800 grand. So we got this property and we purchased back this lease from someone that seemingly all doors were closed. And what I learned from that was that not even one no sometimes should stop us from prayer. And not even one closed door. I learned that closed doors, quote unquote, are not an excuse to stop praying, but an invitation to continue in it. What doors are closed in your life? I'm not saying they're open. I know some of you have been praying for a long time. I know some of you have been going to God with the same request. And I know, I know the door's closed. But could that not be God's invitation to dismiss a life of prayer, but to persist in one? And I don't know what's closed in your life, but I see in Scripture a recognition to keep praying. Jesus promotes persistence in prayer. Secondly, Jesus acknowledges that there are differing timelines, but united desires. Here's what I mean by this. That you'll notice in verse 4, it says, for a while the judge refused. And Jesus uses the refusal of the unjust judge and says, well, if the unjust judge will, like, over time be worn down, God is a just judge and he'll come speedily. And he uses these differing time frames that people uh, that people who pray interact with all the time. Well, what does speedy mean to God? What does speedy mean to Jesus? We know he won't be slow, but we know we don't know maybe what speedy means to him because God is the eternal one. He lives outside of time. Speedy to him could be could be your whole life. (laughs) It's a little confusing. But it's very interesting that although the timelines are changing through this parable and saying, yes, the unjust judge works this way and the just judge would work this way, there's this idea that there's a united desire between the widow and the unjust judge. And you know what it is? Justice. They exist on the same playing field of desires. You see, she went to the judge for justice. And oftentimes we're going to God and not letting our desires line up with him. And sometimes the delay God has in your prayers is because he's trying to move your desire. As you pray and as you pray, he's trying to show you that what you're praying for is not really what you should be coming to him with. Just recognize this. She comes to a judge for justice. She does not come to the judge for food. She doesn't come to the judge asking for medicine. She doesn't come to the judge for any other reason except for justice because she knows that's what the judge is all about. Likewise, do you know what God is all about? Do you know the things that he loves? Do you know the things that he desires? Do you know the things that he sees? Because, I'll use this as a very silly but quick example. If you're praying for more money, you should start reading your Bible, right? And realize God's like, heart for all of us is actually not to be super wealthy and rich. He warns against becoming wealthy and rich and greedy, So as you pray and as you read scripture, your desires will start to align. And sometimes that's the timing difference. The timing difference is God slowly moving your heart to be under his. Part of the process of prayer is moving our desires to God's, and sometimes that takes a long time. I'll give you another example. When I was working in Oregon, we were praying Um, for a a new campus. We had started, um, uh, we replanted this church. It had grown. We were doing four services. There were thousands of people going. I remember people coming up to me and saying, I was on the pastoral team. They were like, Chris, man, that's so cool. God's growing your church so much. What a dream. I was like, not a dream. Four services, preaching four services, not a dream, okay? Not fun, very tiring, okay? Packed out buildings, parking lot disaster. Like, I mean, all problems, but good problems, but still not the dream. And we were praying about uh, starting a new church in another city. And we were in this city called Westland, a suburb of Portland. And uh, we were looking at this suburb called Tualatin as to start this new congregation. And we were praying and we were persistently praying. Every single Thursday, every single Monday, every single Sunday, we would pray about this particular thing. We would be like, God, I'm bringing to you this new congregation. We wanna start it in Tualatin. Everywhere we looked in this new city was a dead end. It was more closed doors. It was more closed doors. And so I'm just thinking, okay, we're gonna keep praying, but man, every single space we looked at, we looked at middle school, so we were gonna meet in a school like this. It was, we were getting shut out of that. Uh, it was either too big or too far or too small or too expensive or anything. It was just a, we could not find a place to launch a new congregation. And as we were praying, We were also coaching this church in another city further away called Beaverton, where Nike's campus is, a suburb of of Portland. We were coaching a struggling church. We would go there once a month on a Tuesday morning. Me and the pastors and some of the elders would go over there, and we would coach and consult this church that was really, really struggling. And we're back home praying and praying and praying for this other city. And all of a sudden, we have this one meeting with this executive leadership team over there, and they say, What if you guys just merged with us? They had a fully paid off ministry building, um, a, a beautiful location. It was just not where we wanted to go. But as we were praying, we realized God was giving us a no in Tualatin so we would get a yes in Beaverton. You see, sometimes the timeline is differing because God's trying to unite your desire with him. You see, sometimes God has something for you that you could never see unless you persistently prayed. Unless you continually got the no, or unless you continually got the hold on. And, and, and I know these examples I'm giving you are ministry examples, and there's a reason for that. But, but, but I, I've also had times in my personal life It's probably a little too personal in this scenario to tell you and divulge to you, but I'm telling you, God changes your desires sometimes, but it takes a long time. God gives you a no in one particular place to lead you to a yes somewhere else, to what he wants for you. And committing to prayer is about committing to the long haul in that. So how do we persist in prayer? If God is calling us to this persistence in prayer to either grant us, finally knock down the doors, or to show us the other door, to show us the yes, where we need to see the yes, how do we commit? How do we stay faithful? Because as I said, I want this sermon to work as kind of a pushing off into this next season for all of us to be persisting in prayer. And so let me help you quite practically of how to persist in prayer. A couple of thoughts. Number one uh, is to discipline your prayer life. To discipline your prayer life, I desire this to be helpful because, look, if prayer is hard work, as I was mentioning at the start of this message, it will not come naturally to you because human beings do not like to do hard things. Revelation for anyone? You're like, that's why I don't like waking up early. Human beings hate doing hard things hard conversations, hard jobs, hard tasks. We don't like hard things. And so it won't come naturally to us. So that's why we have to discipline ourselves. I don't like eating vegetables. As much as I like eating cheeseburgers, right? Eventually, though, my wife tells me, she's a doctor, she's like, you will die um, early. It'll be bad, you know? (laughs) Eat broccoli. Um, Like, that's the discipline that I've put in my life, right? Right? I do not like to exercise, right? But you always find ways to exercise that kind of trick yourself that you're exercising, right? I love basketball. I play basketball, and then I'm sweating. I'm like, hey, I exercised. Cool. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? Every time I'm on a run, I'm like, why, 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 why? Um, (laughs) Like, some of you enjoy running, and you're just more spiritual than me or something. But... We discipline ourselves for this reason. We know that the value that will be brought to us on the other side of the discipline outweighs the difficulty of the discipline in the present, right? You see what I'm saying? It outweighs it. Like, the, the outcome in the end to live a healthy life is better than, like, the taste of this, right? Not always, but uh, we have to convince ourselves that living longer would be better, Right? The same thing is is with prayer. You know that in the long term, you want to tell those kind of stories, right? I I remind myself of the stories I just told you to remind myself that God answers prayer to help me continue in prayer. But there's no other route. There's no easy way. And so you've got to discipline yourselves. Here's my key question for you. Write this down. When will I pray no matter what? Or maybe I'll rephrase that. When do I pray through my week no matter what? For some of us in this room, we can't answer that question. We don't have any time in the prayer. We just pray when we feel like it. Again, you will not feel like praying very much. It's a newsflash. And so it requires a kind of discipline, much like diet or exercise or a musical instrument. You've got to set aside time to practice the musical instrument if you want the freedom of a wailing guitar solo in your life. If you want to ever feel like what it feels like to solo on a guitar and to just like wail on a guitar, you have to practice your scales. Likewise, if you want to sense the overwhelming presence of God and see the power of God in your life, you've got to commit to certain things that are going to be uncomfortable in the short term. When are you praying no matter what? Community is massive in this. If you live with Christians, roommates, if you're married to a Christian, discipline and encourage one another to, to be disciplined in it, to pray together no matter what. I, I mean, we have a benefit as staff members of the church. We have certain times during the week where we will pray. But in my personal life, my wife and I have specific times where we will pray. My wife rides her bike to work and she, uh, every single bike ride to work is a time of prayer. She doesn't have a choice. No headphones, dangerous if you're a biker, right? You're just going and she's spending that time praying. She has concentrated time with the Lord. She prays no matter what when she's on that bike. When do you pray no matter what? Discipline your prayer life. That, you'll persist if you discipline yourself. Secondly, when, when you don't feel like praying, say your prayers. You know that phrase, say your prayers? It comes from a very beautiful kind of like tradition in Christianity. People say, say your prayers. You say, uh, I don't got any. <laughs> right? Right? But like I said, one of the cool things about growing up in the Catholic Church was I got to memorize a lot of prayers, not just in the kind of like catechism, but in the kind of church tradition, in the life of the church. You learn prayers. And through seminary, as I've gotten older, I've memorized certain psalms. And here's here's the thing. Your Bible has a number of written prayers that you can just pray. So one of the disciplines I have in my life is I pray through the Psalms every every day. I just, I wake up and I start with a Psalm and I pray that Psalm. There's some Psalms that you're just not gonna be feeling it. You're like, this does not connect with me. Other days you're gonna be like, wow, this is exactly what I need. But no matter what, what you're doing when you're praying scripture is you're learning God's language. You're learning what he responds to and what he desires because the Psalms is the only book in your Bible that is not only God's word to you, but your word to God. It's not just God's word to man, it's man's words back to God. It's a beautiful book, very good for devotional practice. In the mornings, pray a psalm every morning. The Lord's Prayer, I taught on that uh, two weeks ago, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I pray that prayer every day. Do you think I feel like praying that prayer every day? Oh, especially forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I don't feel like praying that all the time. But I say my prayers. And what I've recognized is the more I say my prayers when I don't feel like praying, my heart changes while I say my prayers. Like and all of a sudden my heart wakes up. My mind wakes up cuz I'm speaking the words of God. The end of Psalm 19 is the prayer I pray every Sunday morning I pray, I preach. God, this is what the psalmist says. He says, "Let the meditation of my the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer." That's a great preacher's prayer. I learned that a long time ago, and it's just automatic now. I was back there just like praying that over and over again. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Like, create in me a clean heart, O God, Psalm 51. Like, we can just be praying scripture all the time, right? Paul's prayers in the New Testament, he has all these prayers through his letters. Look at those. Write them down. Memorize them. Say your prayers even when you don't feel like praying. This is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, the richness of the word of God ought to determine our prayer, not the poverty of our heart. Wow. Man, my wife showed me that quote. I was like, stealing it. Um, so good. Here's why. Oftentimes when we start prayer, it starts like this. And we try to think about what would a Christian pray? <laughs> We're like, What would a good Christian pray? Um, God help? I don't know. Like, we just, that's the poverty of our heart. There's a chasm in your own heart that's lonely and discouraged and sinful, and often we pray out of that. We looked at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' Prayer, uh, disciples, they said this Would you teach us to pray? He didn't say, "Eh, Say whatever you want, I don't care. He did not. We, we say that all the time, by the way. We like give that advice. Just say whatever you want. And there's a place for that, to be honest and raw in prayer. But when we're discouraged, it's really hard. And that's why Jesus says, pray like this. And he gives us a prayer. Are you using God's prayers in your life? Record the results. Record the results is next. And just quickly, I just would ask you this question. Do you have a way of knowing what God has done? You say, Chris, I'll never forget what God did in my life. You will. God bless you. You will. (laughs) All of us. It's not a matter of memory, it's a matter of our own heart that gets distracted. We put credit where credit is not due. It's like a constant theme in the Old Testament. It's a constant theme in your own life if you just think about kind of your history and stuff with the Lord. It's to constantly put credit where credit is not due instead of putting credit where God has answered a prayer. What are you writing down? How are you recording the results? And then quickly, the last one is to just preach to yourself and to God. <laughs> one thing I love about the Psalms is there's times where the psalmist turns inward. Psalm 42, he says this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. And you're like, wait, the audience changed. He was praying to God and now he's saying, O soul, why are you, why are you depressed, soul? Hope in God, soul. The audience changed. He moved from talking to God to preaching to himself. But at the same time, the psalms also talk about preaching to God. They'll often, you'll Psalm eighty nine. Look at this up. It's just full of like, "This is what God. This is what you have done, O God." You think God doesn't know that? What is it doing? It's teaching us what He's done. But you'll hear me, even when I was like praying before, like you'll hear me pray a lot of times. Um, I'll say things like, "God, this is in Your court. God, this is on Your shoulders." God, it's up to you to teach us. What am I doing? I'm kind of preaching to him. God, this is your business and not mine. (laughs) You're the one who rescues. You're the one who redeems. So do what you do, God. Telling God, why, why do I do that? Well, because the psalmist told me to, but also it changes my heart towards who God is. And so preach to yourself and to God. Why should we persist in prayer? So that's how to persist in prayer. But I just want to close with this thought. That Jesus, in this passage, assures us of God's coming justice, and that is why we should persist in prayer. Because I know, man, at the end of the day, we need a vision. At the end of the day, we need a promise. It's like the only reason you power through working out is for the promise of a better health, and the only reason you power through practicing that musical instrument is for the promise of a skilled musicianship in your future, And the only way you will persist in prayer is if Jesus plants for you a vision of the future, which he does. This question hangs over the whole text, Luke 18, 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes. The context of this passage is interesting. If you look at Luke 18 and roll back to 17, there's a long diatribe Jesus has about the coming of the kingdom where Jesus says two seemingly opposite things. He says, the kingdom is in your midst. It's here right now. And then he starts talking about a day where the kingdom will come in its fullness. And you go, which one is it? Is the kingdom here or is it coming? And he says both. And in that passage leading into Luke 18... Jesus unpacks what's called the already but not yet kingdom of God, the already but not yet work of God. Theologians have talked about this for millennia, where God's kingdom was inaugurated when Jesus came, but it is not completed in its fullness. Much like when a president is inaugurated, the effects of his administration only begin to surface a couple of years in, or even after the person gets out of office. Likewise, God has come to inaugurate his kingdom, of which the effects we have not felt yet, fully. But God is coming and will one day in fullness bring the work of the kingdom of God when he returns. There is an already but not yet kingdom, which is why Peter says this to his church in 2 Peter. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years And a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We know God's work has not come in its fullness yet, his kingdom has not come in its fullness yet, but we can be sure of this through the word of Christ it's coming. It will. It will be finished. One day, God will reckon with what we have done to the earth. All the evil done will be flipped on its head, and the innocent and the ones taken advantage of and the ones lost hope will be restored in glory. The King of Heaven will create justice for all of His people, and for those who defame His creation, He will show swift justice towards. Make no mistake, you and I are either praying towards that end or not. We are either begging for what the, the revelation ends with. The very end of this book, there's a prayer that says this, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're either praying towards that end vision or not. And it's funny because, you know, some of those stories I shared with you, about persistence in prayer. Like, we didn't know what would come. We just knew that was our job to do it in the meantime. Like, we didn't know we'd end up getting that hotel property. We didn't know we'd end up doing a whole different church project than launching a new church, but instead merging with another church. We didn't know. But we did know one thing. God had called us to pray. And I know there are stories like that at Awakening, you know, I know I'm, I'm still relatively new here, but you know, we're in a strategic season right now, if you don't know. Um, our lead pastor, Ryan, is returning in the next couple of weeks, and we're so excited to have him back, and he's been on sabbatical, which has been a strategic time. And before he left, we were talking about the future of awakening and all that God would do here, and we agreed, while we didn't know exactly what was to come, we knew this, We must be saturated in prayer. It's why this series is happening, it's no mistake. It's why we're leading towards a fall where we're gonna be inviting us as a congregation to be praying all the more. I'm just giving you a head start. Because you are either praying towards the end of God's glory coming or not. And awakening is either prayerfully considering the future and prayerfully and powerfully moving towards what's ahead or not. And we must be a church that is dogged in its persistence of prayer knowing that God will move through our prayers. We quote this all the time in Awakening Oswald Chambers. And I love when I heard this prayer or this quoted awakening, I was like, yes, I feel home. Prayer doesn't lead to the great work. It is the great work. Prayer is the great work. It's hard. It's difficult. But it is what we do even if we don't feel like it. Because we know whatever's to come, we know we must pray in the meantime. We want to say upon the coming of Jesus in his return, not what a surprise. We want to say, I've been praying for this my whole life. Jesus, we love you. Father, we ask you to shape us as a church. Your scriptures say that you wait to be gracious to us. And that you exalt yourself to show mercy. Living God, we ask you to help us in our persistence in prayer. We are weak and you are strong. You are the good one. We are the weak ones. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, as your scriptures say, carry us along in our prayer life. Lord, we need the strength and persistence. And God, my prayer for us now is that you would incite in us a kind of passion to start this in our lives if we're not. God, I pray for those who have been disciplined and persistent in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would hear their prayers today, God. We are inviting you, Lord, to help us because we need it so desperately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.